0: The poet Robert Frost wrote, Two roads diverged in a wood. Not. I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Jesus faced two roads. He chose the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference to us. It all began on the top of the mountain. Jesus had completed three years of ministry throughout all Galilee. He had gone through the valleys and on the hillsides and to the seashore preaching, teaching, healing, performing miracles. After three years of Journeying through the countryside with the people as they gathered to hear him, gathering such masses at times there were thousands of people. There came that moment when he had to call the people to discipleship, not to be hearers only, but to be doers as well. And when he charged them with the responsibilities that would come with discipleship, They began to peel away until finally there was no one left. Jesus, disappointed that he had no one responding to his call, turned to his disciples and he said to them, Will you leave me also? And Peter answered, To whom can we go? Not an overwhelming endorsement. And so the time came when there was to be a council on the top of Mount Tabor. Jesus took his three disciples, Peter, James and John, to the top of the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. The climb to the top of the mountain was rather hard on the disciples and immediately they fell asleep. And When they awoke, they saw Jesus standing before them His face was as radiant as the sun His clothes looked as though they had been woven with lightning flashes Standing before him were two men The disciples had never seen these two men before but they immediately knew who they were one was Moses The other was Elijah. They were overwhelmed by what they had seen. They listened to the conversation as it proceeded. A conversation that possibly went like this. Moses. God called his people out of Egypt. Put them in my care in the wilderness for 40 years. He trained them during those years through me how to keep the laws to be faithful to him and out of that a covenant would be established and the people of Israel would be God's people and God would care for them their God But Moses shook his head sadly and said they wouldn't keep the law and God could not keep his protective care as is part of the covenant. Elijah. The people kept turning away to other gods even though God Yahweh had been revealed to them. Every time that Israel had a new king He would marry foreign women, and they would bring their gods with them into the Holy Land. And soon the people would be worshipping those false gods as well. And God called me and all the other prophets to say to the people, If you will return to me, turn your back on all false gods, be faithful to the covenant. I will give you a man, protect you, care for you. And the covenant will be established. But Elijah sadly shook his head and said the people would not listen. And finally they were carried off into exile. Jesus, God sent me with a new message a message of love, a call to repent and rebirth with the promise if there would be repentance, if there would be an acceptance of god's love then a new life would be given to each and the covenant would be established and jesus said he should use dead instead the people would not listen and then the disciples heard repeatedly the word being spoken among the three death 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 And then finally, Moses and Elijah disappeared from the sea. The globe disappeared from the face of Jesus. And a cloud descended upon the mountain and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, beloved of me. Listen to what he has to say. And then the cloud disappeared And Jesus and his three disciples descended the mountain And when they got to the base of the mountain Jesus faced two roads The road that led to Galilee And the road that led to Jerusalem The choice was his He could have taken the road that went back to Galilee once again, he would wander over the beautiful verdant hills and valleys of Galilee. He would watch springtime come and enjoy the flowers and the bloom of the trees. He would walk among the fig trees and the uh, harbors of rich, bright green. It would be a beautiful land, a land on which he had lived from the moment of his birth. He could still teach and preach and try to win the people's allegiance to God through God's love and in his life Having lived his life fully and dying of old age That could be the road that he would choose to follow The choice was his The road to Jerusalem was a short road and at the end of that road was suffering and death. And Jesus chose the road to Jerusalem. Shortly before, Jesus had said to the disciples after the crowd had dispersed, Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples answered, Some say that you are John the Baptist, others that you are Elijah. Others, other prophets. And then Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? No one answered for a moment, and then Peter said, You're Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you are very blessed because God has revealed that to you alone. And then the journey began. Between here and Jerusalem, the disciples had to be transformed from disciples to apostles. Because at the end of that journey, he would be on the shoulders of the apostles to do what Jesus was now doing alone. That he must grow from being disciples to apostles and it must take place on that journey that they now put together. They had not talked about death before. And Jesus said to His disciples for the first time, When they get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be put into the hands of my enemies, and they will punish me, and then they will kill me. And Peter cried out, No, no, no. Jesus said, Peter, you are the word of Satan. You're trying to keep me from doing what I have to do. And then they walked in silence for a long time. Jesus said again, when we get to Jerusalem, my enemies will take me. They'll punish me. And they'll take my life. But after three days, I'll return. The disciples will not hear that kind of talk. They were in denial. And so instead of responding to the words that Jesus had just spoken, they said, Lord, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus looked. And a little child standing beside the road as they walked by. And he walked over and put his arm around the little child and brought him to himself. And he said, Unless you become like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The openness of this little child, the inquisitiveness of this little child, The lack of prejudice in this little child, and above all, the humility of this little child. Unless you become humble, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had taught them humility all of the time that he had been teaching them. They had learned from him for three years all of the theology that Jesus had to teach and particularly on the Sermon on the Mount, which was for the disciples alone. It was their teaching session. Others came to listen, but the Sermon on the Mount was to teach the disciples what life was all about. And repeatedly, he told them that they must be humble. Eventually, one of the last lessons that he would teach them would be humility in the upper room when he would stoop and wash their feet. But they could not understand humility. The disciples had to learn two things before they could become apostles. They had to learn the meaning of commitment and the meaning of personality. They must be humble. None of us like to be in the presence of people who show false humility. Too many of us think that we need to be humble and we take on the appearance of humility without ever really being humble. A rabbi and a cantor and a custodian were in the synagogue, preparing the synagogue for Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish year, the day of atonement. And while they were preparing the synagogue, the rabbi became overcome with the presence of God, the love of God, a sense of God's presence. And he beat on his chest and he cried out, I am nothing. I am nothing. The cantor, wanting to impress the rabbi, beat himself on the chest and he said, I am nothing. I am nothing. The custodian, standing some distance away, was moved by what he saw. He felt so humble in the presence of these two in the synagogue. And he beat his breast and he shouted, I am nothing. I am nothing. And the cavern turned to the rabbi and said, Luke, who thinks he's nothing, You're supposed to laugh. That was funny. False humility is worse than no humility at all. One theologian said, I have studied the great men of history inside the church and out, and I have yet to find a great man who did not have a sense of humility about him. Paul preached humility and said to himself, I am the chiefest of all sinners. Mother Teresa left a home in Poland, a comfortable home for parents well to do. And she went as a missionary to India. And as she became acquainted with those who had nothing down in the streets of Calcutta. She went down to the depths of poverty and suffering and pain to which they had fallen. And with all the humility that God could allow her to bear, she became one of them and loved them into God's presence. Even the Nobel Peace Prize made no effect upon her. She went back down into the slums of Calcutta and lived in humility before God. I think the saint St. Saint Francis of Assisi. Last spring, I had the privilege of standing just a. Few feet from his mortal remains at Assisi, hanging at his side was his robe and his sandals beneath them. He, more than any man since the time of the Apostles, has reflected the true nature of who Jesus was. Born in a family of great wealth up until the age of 25, he had the parties of all note in his city of Assisi. He was loved by everyone, dressed in the finest of clothes. And then he met Christ. He renounced all materialism, took the vow of poverty, went out to live in caves, lived among the people who were sick, particularly among those whom no one else would come close to, the lepers who huddled in holidays. And he lived with them and encouraged them. before he was to die he was to take on all the appearances of the suffering of Christ blood produced from his forehead and from his palms of his hands his feet would bleed and his side would open and blood produced from his side he carried the pain of the stigmata until the moment of his death and they say that in his dying he laid his hand upon the wound of his side but one day he came out of the woods from prayer One of his disciples said to him, with envy, why don't people follow you? Why is it that wherever you go, crowds gather? Why are those who want to join your group who go about living among the lepers and the poor people of Assisi? And St. Francis dropped to his knees, closed his eyes. After a few moments, he stood up and he said, God needed someone through whom he could show his true love. Not someone whose life would be mistaken for the love that was only his. And he looked over all the world and he found the lowliest of all his creatures. And he put him apart to let him reflect his love. Because he knew that he was of such lowly stature. That no one would mistake God's love for human love. And he chose me. We must be humble if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. But all humility hasn't existed in the past. In Newport, Tennessee, I met a man in his 80s named Dewey Strange. When he was a young man, he had been asked to teach the junior high Sunday school class Charles Lipps' father was the pastor of his church. They gave him the furnace room in which to take the young people and teach them. Now he was in his 80s and he was still teaching that junior high class. In his class, he taught them two things before they went on. One was how to kneel in humility and pray. And the other was to pray publicly with others. And he gave them a credo by which to live, a simple credo of a man named Dewey Sprains. Don't smoke. Don't do drugs. Don't tell dirty jokes. And save a little money. Every year, he would have what he called a chivalry on his farm and he would bring all the young people out. A big bonfire and they would feast and play games and ride away and still with pain. When Dewey died, he said he wanted no minister standing up telling good things about him. He wanted his boys and girls to come and tell them what his life had meant for them. And on his death, bankers, the lawyers, and educators, came from everywhere to say how their life had been changed by Dewey's prayers. He was featured on the Heartland series in Knoxville and CNN and Atlanta picked it up and they sent a crew and they spent a day with Dewey on his farm and featured it on the CNN channel. I said to Dewey, you must be awfully good the wonderful things you've done. And he said, Preacher, I've done nothing. I'm a parasite. Everything I've done has been what somebody's given to me, and I've just passed it off. The lesson of the humble. Humility. You know, it's the first step into the kingdom of God. And Jesus and his disciples continued on to Jerusalem. When they passed through Jericho, Jesus took the opportunity today to minister to a little man tied up in a sycamore tree, hanging, uproariously in laughter of the crowd beneath him. They hated him, he was a tax collector, and Jesus embraced him in love and ushered him into the kingdom of heaven, teaching his disciples that God's love is for everyone. And as they left Jericho, a blind man, they came to the side of the room. A blind man with the name of Bartimaeus cried out, Have mercy upon me. And Jesus, on his way to his own dying, stopped and brought sight to the eyes of a man who was blind. And then he said to his disciples, When we get there, they'll take my life. They'll kill me. The disciples still wouldn't listen. Nobody responded. And then James and John silent up to at Jesus and whispered in his ear, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, may we sit one on either side of you in your kingdom. And Jesus said, That is not mine to give. That belongs to God. But I say this to you Can you drink the cup from which I'm going to drink? Without knowing what they were saying, they said, yes, we can drink from that cup. The cup that Jesus would drink from would be the cup of death. In the garden, he would speak of the cup that he wanted to pass from him, but God would not remove. It. And they, in their ignorance, cried out, yes, we can drink from that cup. And he said, yes, you will. All who become my disciples must drink from the cup that is placed in his hands the cup of submission. It was Christ submitting to the will of God that allowed him to go into the garden of Gethsemane and wrestle with his soul and finally say, I'll drink what is in the cup. And we must drink from the cup that is placed in our hands. James drank from the cup and he became the first disciple to die at the hands of his enemies. Is was the cup of death John drank from the cup and he lived in exile. He was the only one of all the disciples who did not die a martyr's death His cup did not contain martyrdom. It contained service and so it is for most of us We are not called upon to die Few, if any, ever go to the point of finding margin in our cup, but we will have the cup of discipleship from which we must drink daily. It is a cup of commitment, mm-hmm. a cup of discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison. Where he would drink his cup. But not until he wrote what would be printed under the covers of a hard bag, the cost of discipleship. It costs to follow Christ. We cannot follow Christ without drinking from the cup. And God fills the cup daily. Sometimes it's nothing more than standing up on our principles. Diane Sawyer is my favorite woman news anchor. I've enjoyed her over the years. Her beauty has something to do with it. Hard news can be taken easily when it's an attractive person passing the news along. But when Diane Sawyer was a student at Wellesley College, she wrote a paper And she told about a few years before when she was in America's junior mix. She went all over the country representing her title. She was reared in a Christian home and it was her practice wherever she was on the weekend that she would go to church. And on this particular weekend, she found herself in a southern city. And when it was time to go to church, she and her chaperone left and found a nearby church. They went in and settled themselves comfortably. She admired the beautiful stained glass windows, the marble altar. They waited for the service to begin. The music was soothing and inspiring. And then the minister made the announcements. He said, In our city there have been black people who have tried to come into those churches to worship. This was the time of the Civil Rights Movement in the South. And I met with the elders of our church, and we asked the question, what can we do if they come to our church and demand admittance? And so we decided that we would have the usher say to any black person who sought to come inside, we don't have enough pews to see all of our members, and therefore we can't allow you to come in. Diane Sawyer said hearing those words that struck her heart like a dagger. And she thought, I don't want to hear anything you have to say about God's love. I don't think you have any sermon that I want to hear. And so she stood up a teenager in a strange church filled with people strode out of the church. And as she went through the doorway, she said to the usher, I'm giving up my seat for one of your members. It took courage to do that. But that's what you do when you drink the cup that God has placed before you. And then that's mark on too. When Tom Brokaw wrote his book on the greatest generation, featuring the men and women of World War II, a new interest began to develop around the years of World War II. I remembered an incident that took place at the time. I had forgotten about it until a few weeks ago. I found it printed in one of the books that I was reading, and I recalled it. Daniel A. Poling was pastor of Marble Collegiate Church in New York. His son Clark was a minister, and being a minister, he would not have to go to war to fight. But he wanted to represent his country, and so he became a chaplain. After he had received his training to be a chaplain, he and four others got aboard the ship Dorchester and they set out upon the sea. And once they were well out on the sea, they were attacked by a submarine and the ship sank. Everyone put on their life jackets in order to save themselves in the waters before help could come. And the four And the five chaplains stood there together with their life jackets on, getting ready to jump over the rail. When they realized that there were some aboard who didn't have life jackets. There weren't enough to go around. And each of the five took off his life jacket and placed it upon the shoulders of another. And witnesses to that event said that as the ship went down, the five chaplains, Catholic, Protestant, and Jewish, and their arms linked together, standing a hill as the water swallowed them up. They had to drink the drink of martyrdom from the cup that God had put into their hands. No matter what is in your cup, you must drink it if you are to be a disciple of Jesus. now they were approaching Jerusalem Four days and it would be passed Jesus said to his disciples go find the foal of an ass and bring it to me and they did and Jesus set astride that small animal he had to bend his knees to keep his feet from dragging on the ground it would have been a comical scene if the people Lining the pathway did not know the prophecy that stood and the king shall come into the city Describe the full of an ass It was a beautiful morning birds songbirds were singing The Sun was rising up into the sky The spring vegetation on the trees were waving in the gentle breeze It was morning Jesus was descending the Mount of that would go through the Valley Kidron and then up to Jerusalem on the hill opposite. The people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! They saw his coming and they knew that it was the end of a kind of waiting. Jesus rounded of the, the road that went through the valley. And there directly in front of them was Jerusalem seated upon the hill. In the heart of the city, there was the temple, the temple that Jesus loved. It looked as though it had been chipped from a diamond. The sun's rays flashing off that magnificent building of gold. And Jesus looking upon that city, tears filled his eyes. He said, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. How often I would have brought my arms about you and shielded you as a mother hen chicks, but you wouldn't. And now only desolation lies in your future. As he brushed the tears from his eyes, he looked back at the temple and why mystical brigadier. Suddenly that temple disappeared and in its place was an altar of stone. A little boy lay on that altar and a father stood at his side with an upraised knife and to the side was a bramble bush and a little lamb was caught in the bramble bush. Jesus knew that the temple had been built upon the very site that Abraham had offered his son in sacrifice. And then the knife dropped. And the father went over and picked up the lamb and placed it on the altar in the place of his son. And as he burst the tears from his eyes again, suddenly things came back into focus and the altar had disappeared and there stood the temple and the bramble bush was there, but this time it was Jesus himself who was in the bramble bush. He was the pastoral lamb to be slaughtered. He took a deep sigh and let his eyes carry him over the valley and got hill just outside the city. a shape like a sport. the journey to Jerusalem was so a